It can mediate so much. It can cause trouble, cause pain, but it's never the cause of who you are. Because that's why Paul can say, though the outer form is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And so it's not so much, so what we don't want to do as Christians is just say, okay, body doesn't matter. Social stuff, that, so if you're abused as a child growing up, it just doesn't matter. No, it matters. It affects you. It has great influence. If you're struggling with thyroid issues and physiological problems, that the body's not just along for the ride. Like, it, it fights you. It, we, and right, the older we get, the more we feel it. Like this thing, the more and more it feels like a dead carcass we're dragging around. That, and so the, and so that matter. And so we're meant to have patience for each other in prayer. That's part of the hope of the gospel, right? Is this thing's going to get glorified? The body's going to go to the grave, but then the Lord's going to raise it in power and give us a new body. And so that's part of the gospel message: is hey, you get to get a new body. But it's not. And so just grit your teeth until then. It's but no, but. Christ has conquered in a way that, that through the power of the gospel, the work of the Spirit, what rules your heart rules your life. And so if the Spirit is ruling you, you can't have joy and peace and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit, no matter what your body's doing. But you don't just learn that overnight. That's, again, part of a lifelong of sanctification. And so when I think about that intersection, there's a lot more we can say. There's books on it. But to go, okay, let's, let's see it as a real influence a real factor, something that really affects us, get good physical care from doctors. But then don't ever sell the farm where you say, I am the way I am because of my body. A kind of determinism? A determinism, yeah. yeah and that's, that's why we live in an age where of, of physiological determinism. That's just how naturalism works, right? Is nature's all there is, nature determines you. Or others that are in the camp of social determinism. I am this way because of my dad was this way. I am this way because my mom was... A, or there's demonic determinism, right? You, you cast out the demon of anger. I mean, and so even in lots of charismatic circles or other circles where it's, it's a, a spiritual determinism that's actually misguided and off base. Um, but rather to see, no, it's actually a God determinism and what rules your heart rules your life kind of determinism, which is where the gospel is doing its primary work. And so it's not that we neglect the other spheres, it's just we're always prioritizing how the inner is relating to everything else. Um, yeah. So does that mean in counseling you're asking questions, perhaps those diagnostic questions more than anything else, as part of the work of a counselor? I think so. I think because you, you can't see the inner world, you, you see evidences, but part of what you're wanting in, in that environment is a, a place that is gracious, warm, inviting, humble, where people can open up, can say, here's what's going on inside. Here's what I'm carrying. Here's what I'm burdened with. And sometimes there's going to be all kinds of physiological things that you, know, you, you would say, hey, let's go seek the help of a physician with some of this. And, and I'm not sending you away, but, but I want to help you as a believer, minister to the word to you, but without neglecting stuff that's happening in your body, or let's take steps we need to take in some of the relational areas of your life. There may be situations you're in that that social embeddedness can change, and we need to pay attention to that. But what we're going to prioritize is, is ministering the Word and, and the Spirit of God's work in the inner person. Yeah. Uh, a couple questions on, on Zoom are coming in. Keep those coming on Zoom, friends. Uh, maybe... What would be some of your most highly recommended books and resources on counseling? Obviously, apart from the Bible. I yeah, think we can yeah. assume, we have to assume, we must know 
that the Bible speaks to yes. life. Yes. Okay. The, yeah, I always say there's no more. So it's the most God-centered book ever written is Scripture, and it's the most human book ever written, the most honest about human life, the most relevant to where people really live. And, and that's why, it's one of the things that why I moved from secular psychology to pastoral ministry is the, the hundreds of book I, books I was reading in the world of psychology felt less human than this book. And, and we just read and go, okay, this doesn't actually feel like how life works or how it really feels. It felt mechanical. It felt, you know, removed from reality in so many ways. When, when you read this and go, okay, this is what it's like to be a human being in this world. And this is what, and so, yeah, this book, um, you know, there's a, there's a journal, the journal of biblical counseling that is put out by CCEF, uh, quarterly that has 40 years of articles. Like you can buy the entire archives for like 60 bucks. Um, and it's hundreds and hundreds of articles written by a number of all in that there is a great resource where you can go to a menu and just type in keywords and it lists, here's all these articles written by Paul Tripp and David Powelson and Ed Welch and, um, Mike Hamlet and Bob Jones and a number of others that have contributed over the years. Do you ever general. write for them? I'm sorry. Do you ever write for them? I've never written for them. There's been moments, but then. I just go, I can't. And so I think there's just times where I've wanted to, but like so many writing projects, I stall out. It's not, it's not them, it's me. You know, it's usually the problem. Um, but then there's a book by Paul Tripp called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, which I know you all have read that and used it here as a church. And, and it's, it's a great, just more technical, but concrete introduction to, you know, a way to think about biblical counseling ministry. Um, there's... Uh, books that are collections of David Pallison's articles, like Seeing with New Eyes and Speaking Truth and Love, and and then a, a book he wrote, How Does Sanctification Work? David Pallison actually has a recent book on anger um, that is phenomenal. If you if you want to just see a great sense of how does counseling, biblical counseling ministry approach anger, um, that's one I recommend. Which he would say was a was a twenty year sort of. Uh, distillation of prayers and thinking and scriptural study to, to get to that. When People Are Big and God Is Small by Ed Welch is one I tend to highly recommend. And um, Crosstalk by Mike Emlett is another one. You know, Jeremy Pierre and Deepak Reju just have a very short book on the pastor and counseling that approaches how pastors can think about counseling ministry. Um, a guy named Bob Kellerman has a number of resources that are helpful. Just, he tends, you talk about alliteration. I've never seen a brother alliterate more stuff than Bob Kellerman. So be ready. You open that book and there will be every chapter, 19 alliterations of something. Must be a Baptist. Um, yeah, he's certainly spent enough time in Baptist yeah, world. Okay. Yeah. To be able to, to alliterate well. But. So maybe, uh, a couple questions related to how does, um, what does sort of the counseling equipping look like at that sort of base level of someone, the person who comes in struggling. Um, and even how does that sort of equipping happening as it relates to equipping men and equipping women to help? Yeah, does that make sense? Yes. Cause this is, I'll start even with that one. <clears throat> and this is one of the things I love even about counseling ministry and it being belonged to the whole church is that's, that's men and women. I mean, that is, and so 
if you talk about an area of ministering the word in the church for everybody, this is one of them. And so it's where not just men, but I find women are most vital because uh, it's equipping women to minister the word to one another and to use the gifts that God has given them, <clears throat> excuse me, to minister in those ways. And so was the question kind of how do you think about somebody who's coming to be equipped or well, to, I was to trying receive to counseling and care? Perhaps poorly summarize two questions into one, but okay. maybe talk about what does it look like practically to sort of raise up um, individuals? Because you've talked about having someone come, inviting them in, sort of that level of, of conversation in the office, you know, where it's not just necessarily you and another person helping them work through, but inviting other people into that conversation. So I'm sort of speaking at that level, but then also, you know, it's, if we're equipping the body, we're not just equipping half the body, we're equipping all the body. So maybe even talk a little bit what that looks like. Yeah, so it may be that I get a phone call from a brother or sister saying, hey, I'm really struggling, I'm in trouble, I would love to meet and talk. And, and I'll ask questions, I'll hear the story, what's going on, and then one of the first questions I ask is, okay, yes, would love to meet, who, who can you bring with you um, that is just a, if it's a sister who's a sister in your community group, in your life, who's just know, has some insight into some of this, one or two ladies, okay, if you're a guy, who, who's a guy or two that you can bring with you to this meeting. So I'm not just going to meet one-on-one with them. I'm like, okay, you bring somebody who's a brother, sister in Christ, a member of the body of Christ that, that has some insight into some of this or needs to. And then as you and I meet, they're going to be there listening, learning. And because I, I don't just want to help you, but I'm, I want to equip you all now to go out and have the conversation and the prayers that, that you need to have together. And so I'm always thinking in some of those terms and not just becoming this isolated sort of meeting thing. That but you can compartmentalize that for just, 45 minutes, you know, every other week. Yes. Yeah. And then go out, do six days and then come back and do it again. But rather know something where both caring for you, but then also equipping some of the people around you to care for you, which then is also equipping you to care for them. Yeah, because uh, one of the real challenges when you're dealing with challenging cases is that the pastor might work with the individual once a week or maybe more. But the reality is their friends are in there every day. Yes. And they will become quickly exhausted and spent, yeah. uh, if, and particularly if they're at a loss as to how to help. Yeah, and so this kind of came about, this approach went by me meeting with people and then three days later getting a call from a friend saying, how do I help with, and finally I just went, you know what, y'all need to just come together and just and make this more of a conversation we're all having together and involved in together. And, and, then, and then over time what I find is some of those individuals around them those conversations start to be so fruitful and humbling and prayerful and thank you very much that that even I get weaned out, you know, in a way that, you know, that my role in it sort of runs its course and then they go and continue that work and walking together and maybe later check in. And, and so that's, yeah, that's one way it works. Uh, a question... Uh pull it back up here, uh, came in from, from a sister in the body, and she just asked, you know, what's your approach for helping a couple in difficulty? Uh, it's been long felt as if the church focuses on the man and the woman is a sort of a part of the aftermath. And now, to, I mean, to the sister, I hope that hasn't been your experience at UBC. If it has been, I'm so terribly sorry. That's not what we want to communicate. You know, one of the lessons, if we learned anything from last week, is that, you know, as image bearers, 
you know, we, we are to deal with one another as image bearers. And none is sort of more worthy of, of attention and more worthy of pastoral care than another merely because they're a particular ethnic race or because of their gender. But, I mean, there's no, no pastors are perfect, no church is perfect. And there are seasons in which the church tends to swing the pendulum to dealing sort of just with one issue and often neglecting others. So maybe how do you think through helping couples in difficulty um, so that one of the spouses sort of isn't left? Yeah, so, you know, in one way that it really depends, right? There could be so many different situations that arise, so many different types of care to couples that are needed. And so in one way, I'm going to speak in very broad strokes. I think part of it starts with the moment from the first time together, it really believing Ephesians 5 that in, in Matthew 19 that, okay, the Lord has made them one. They're joined together. So there's nothing that either one of them thinks, feels, does that is just independent. And so in one way, okay, you are, and so sort of talking through and developing a really biblical theology of marriage, that it's not possible for this just to be about one of you. You know, that there might be, you know, one of you that's struggling more deeply with some things and the other with other things. But then as that husband and wife come in, it's realizing, okay, the Lord has made you one. And, and there's just things, there's a mystery to that that can't be just disentangled e- easily. And so building up and talking through just a healthy view of, okay, you, husband, you're the Christ reflecting figure of this marriage. And the wife is the, okay, the church reflecting figure of this marriage and what marriage is for and what marriage is about. And then beginning to talk through and ask the questions that draw out, okay, what is the conflict? What is going on in believing that God is always working on everybody in the room at the same time? And so, you know, a lot of, you know, and again, it depends on some couples are going to come and both are like just so ready and exhausted to just hear from the Lord what they need to see and feel and do. Others come in and it's, they really need your help, you know, and I'm just here to help you fix them. And, and then it's, let me know what you need from me to help you in that. But I'm here if you need me pastor to fix them. And, and, or if you just need information on them. And, and so you can get any number of, you can get a couple that comes in and that eager. doesn't work. <laughs> well, yeah, I find that, yeah, God has a way of making sure that does not work. Yeah. Um, but so you can have those who are both equally ready to hear and to be ministered to, but then you have others that come in and it's still, this is them, not me. And so based on your starting point, it's going to look very, very different. Um, and there's lots of passages I find, like a James 4, 1 through 10, that's just so humbling in, in asking, you know, why are there fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your desires that wage war in your members? You know, and, and then he just unpacks that in a way that none of us can escape. You know, you're going to have situations where, of like domestic abuse, where you're not going to do that. You know, you're going to have situations where, you know what, this isn't really a marriage counseling problem. This is, and even marriage counseling can be very counterproductive because, um, the, the dynamics of control and abusiveness that are happening in the marriage actually needs to be disentangled first and in counseling to the couple and making it seem like this is just sort of an equal conflict resolution thing is actually destructive. But in so many of the other situations and cases, I think usually your beginning point is going to be, you know, helping them begin to look at what is God wanting you to see? What is God wanting you to, to begin to grapple with? And, and focusing both of them on the vertical element. Because all horizontal conflict is always firstly vertical conflict. Always. 
And that's why I love it when, you know, the people of Israel are wanting to stone Moses in Numbers 11. They're ready to kill him. I don't love it. You you know what I mean? When I say it, I I love the passage. And Moses goes to God and just says, if this is going to be the way of this people, just kill me. Like, just end it. Um, And he says, don't worry, Moses. They're not mad at you. They're mad at me. And there's something about the statement. Because if you're Moses, you go, really? Like, no, they want to kill me. They're mad at me. And yet God goes, no, no, it's not you. It's me. It's when they go to Samuel and say, give us a king. And God says to Samuel, don't worry, Samuel. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Just how personally God takes everything. And not in an insecure sort of sense way, but in a way that he actually everything we think, feel, and do is always firstly vertical. And so a lot of even counseling to, to couples is helping them see that. Everything you think, feel, do, every way you relate to it is always firstly about you and God. Um, well, and I think if your understanding of counseling is the goal is to fix the problem, then you can in a situation where you deal with one, and as soon as you largely deal with it, it's over. Um, if the goal of counseling is not just to fix a problem, but it's to st- restore relationships and shepherd souls, then you will work at fixing the problem, but you're going to shepherd the whole and seek to shepherd through. And that requires follow through. And that's sometimes, that's where it can get difficult. You know, I was talking with a brother a little while back who was a pastor of a church and he hid a secret sin for a while. And in God's kindness, God finally broke him and he confessed it. But there had been a pattern of years of deception with his own wife. I just want to talk to him and saying, now listen, I know at some level you feel freed. You've, you've lost your job. You've had to resign. Um, but you, you've brought your sin into the light, and that is freeing, and that, that it is meant to be, and that is good. The challenge is you have a wife who doesn't know who she's married to because you've lied to her for, in this case, almost five years. So when she looks at you six months from now and says, I still can't trust you, that's not her fault. You know, that's your fault. And the challenge is, like, you can think, well, okay, we got to this point, we can, we've moved on. Uh, and that's where, if you're seeking to do that long-term shepherding, but that's also where shepherding just gets hard yeah. because that kind of follow-through is it's time-consuming, it's difficult. It's why it can't just be one man doing all the counseling. It's why we as a body have to equip one another because we have to ride through that together. Yeah, the Christian life really, it's not for the impatient. I mean, shepherding is not for the impatient. Um, it's slow. And because it's not only is it not just fixing problems, what I've found, and we'll even see it in the passage we'll go through in the sermon this morning, of just God is often in the business of creating problems. Like, like when it, it's amazing how often he is the instigator of the trouble in order I'm gonna to... I'm going to lead you right to a sea. Yes. And then I'm going to bring an entire army at your heels. And just trap you there. Yep. And, and not just, and then I'm going to part that you're going to this Red Sea, but then I'm going to make you spend the night 60 feet from that Egyptian army. And there'll be a pillar of fire between, but you'll hear them. You'll see them. And we're just going to hang out here tonight. And, and you're going to learn to be okay and to rest and to, and so that's where even the fix it mentality, not only do we find we might be working against the Lord in some of that. But number two, we might be setting up people for constant discouragement when, because we've missed sort of understood what the real goal is. 
in what God is trying to do. Um, it's like if you, you know, if you have a bunch of kids and you think, okay, the goal of our life is a clean house. Um, I mean, strap on, because this, this is going to be a long road for everyone, for you, for your kids. And, but if the goal is, is love and life and growth, and, you know, I love that proverb, you know, the, the, the stall is clean when there are no oxen. But, strength, but, but fruitfulness comes by the strength of the ox. And so there's something about if you want a fruitful life, you have to have a messy life. If you, if you want to be changing and forming the image of Christ, then you've got to follow him. And he often leads into trouble, not into, you know, ease. Yeah. Well, and in God's providence, there are some problems this side of heaven that aren't finally fixed. And if our goal is this ministry or this individual is meant to fix this, well, we've started with the wrong set of assumptions, right? Because sometimes your goal is merely, if I can help them from not falling back, and if I can help them to hold on, like the Lord will take care of the rest. And th- that may be success right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and just that Paul would say that, you know, blessed are all those who long for his appearing. You know, in other words, when he comes, you don't want to be disappointed. And sometimes we're trying to create a life that if he were to show up, you would ask for a couple more years, you know, Lord, I finally got it great. Can you hold off? That's a bad place to be. Um, now, you want to long for his appearing. And that longing is often fed by, yeah, this is hard. This is a painful world to live in. I've lived in that first world. Yeah. And then I got married. Right. And then, you know, that's a longer conversation. But my wife helped me see that maybe there were some unrealistic things about that. Um, uh, so uh, maybe speak uh, a couple questions a bit even more specifically about sort of what the training process. So one of the things the congregation has come to understand is, okay, Brad, you have a, you have a passion to see healthy churches because you understand that's where the Christian life is lived out. That's how the gospel is proclaimed. That's how missions happens and the rest. So you've got a pastoral internship program where you're trying to particularly raise up young men to be shepherds, whether it's at a lay capacity while they continue to work the job for the remainder of their life, which is a heroic thing to do, or whether or not it's to actually serve vocationally as a pastor. But you have sort of a similar passion on the counseling side. So maybe just speak a little bit about what that looks like, even just very practically. Yeah. Yeah. I find a lot of, you know, pastoral training, even seminary training is focused on, you know, public ministry of the word, preaching and teaching, very important, private ministry of the word, which is personal study, learning, growth, but then misses personal ministry of the word. How does, how's the word meant to shape conversations? How's the word meant to shape how we listen to people, how we talk to people, how we care for suffering people, how we encourage and strengthen one another and pray for one another. And so, so that's where when I, I think about it, at one level, there's just a very church-wide training in that kind of personal ministry of the word that is the books you give away to your church the books you recommend the kinds of classes or trained teachings you you offer to everybody so maybe it's okay we're gonna have a saturday workshop just on anxiety and how do you think biblically about anxiety deal with anxiety in your own don't be anxious right a little bit beyond that okay (laughs) but but it starts with yeah don't be anxious and then here's the that is jesus here's the 80 reasons why (laughs) that's now true um and so maybe that it may be okay let's have this um retreat on marriage and 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 just growing in marriage and 
Let's, and so just things that you might do or instruments in your hands as a book. Let's just take eight weeks, make this available to every member of the church. Whoever wants to come, we're just going to go through that. And just lots of different ways that you can sort of back to that raising the tide level of the congregation as a whole. But then there's that next step that I always want to make available to members of a church. And that's okay. But if you want more than that, if you are in a position strategically in the church or want to be in a position strategically to really care for specific counseling needs of those around you, then what I tend to do is offer like a nine month, you know, equipped to counsel training program that is like three hours a week, come to the church, 30 of us sit around in a big square tables and just um, dig into from the ground up, what is biblical counseling ministry? What are the basics? What are the keys? What are, how do you begin to learn and develop and then even do some live practice in those times together and just for nine months, three hours a week, just dive into that. So that's not stick a tape in to like a VHS or that's old school, but you know what I mean? Not yeah. like watch something on a YouTube channel and then have a workbook. It's actually you teaching and them being in a session mm -hmm. and then a couple of people getting in the middle and like sort of doing mock. Not even mock, real. So, okay. so yeah, where, so yeah, would teach it and then we'll set up that way because some of the richest stuff is the discussion. So, so maybe. So Brad, tell me about a fight you and Aaron had this last week. Yeah. And I'll say this morning. Right. We're talking. Right. And, and then we work through it. Right. Well, just I'll start to. So then modeling, what kind of questions might you ask next? What kind of posture and tone do you want to take that is gracious, warm, inviting, understanding? What might be, again, and then let's arrive at what are a few ways that we can pray for you? Or we won't necessarily do something that what I'll, everybody that goes through that kind of training, ask them, okay, I want you to write out your story in 10 to 12 minutes, but here's how I want you to write it. I want you to start with three areas of life that you're struggling big time right now. Not, here's what I was 25 years ago, then I got saved and I'm great now. Um, I don't want that story. Like the, here's three areas where I just feel overwhelmed. Three ways, like the things I'm struggling with right now. And then walk that back and tell your story of life growing up, conversion, all that, but with those three themes sort of in it and take 10 to 12 minutes. And so I want everybody that goes through that kind of training to, to be able to communicate that to a group and everybody over the course of the year will get an opportunity to share. And that's, that's where we'll start. Like then when I get in the middle with a few people, okay, share your story, take 10 minutes. And it starts with, here's a couple areas that I feel I'm getting just crushed in and overwhelmed by. And it, so it may be fighting with spouse. It might be other types of things. And then just begin to ask questions, draw out, uh, go to somewhere, just one place in the Word maybe, just to read through that together. And not again, not fix it. Just how do we begin this kind of conversation and start moving forward? But then every member of the group will, will at some point be in. And so, so yeah, I named it the rope circle, so the ring of public encouragement. Um, and I did it's that not because... the ring of public humiliation. Because all the members of the class started naming it that. And then <laughs> in the, the ring of fire, the... I said, okay, we need something more positive here. So, um, in, in other words, even in the training itself, to begin to sort of pull down the walls of pretense and guardedness and fearfulness, being honest and, and setting it early that it, you're about to ask other people to do this. You're asking them to open up, to be honest, to tell you what they're struggling with, what they're carrying. 
you have to be able to do that. Like you have to first be comfortable sharing those with others, being ministered to, receiving those kinds of questions, feeling what it's like, um, appreciating what's going on, being humble in it, so that now when you're put in a position of caring for another, that you're not spring-loaded to just, you know, really be ingracious um, because you haven't done that in your own heart and life. Um, so that's some of the reason we do that as well. But then after that year, there's others who go, okay, so I want to... In that year, like, what exactly... Are they learning 40 Bible verses to apply to these six situations? Or maybe just a little bit more what, it, what that kind of equipping training is? Yeah, so we'll, we'll usually start with... I'm trying to make it as reductionistic as possible yeah, for you. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to make it murky. But, um, yeah, that we'll start with a lot, just very basically, where do we see counseling in the Bible? And just to, we'll just go to the very beginning and go from the very beginning, as soon as God is talking to Adam and Eve, counseling's happening. As soon as after Cain kills, you know, before Cain kills Abel, God's counseling. After he kills Abel, God's counseling. Like there's, like to see, you realize this is everywhere. This is happening through the whole, and so we'll just develop a biblical theology of personal ministry, a biblical theology of counseling ministry, and just take weeks and chapters showing how this is what the Bible is about. Life is what the Bible is about. And let's see how God does it. And now let's look at all these places where God tells you to do it. And we'll walk through all those. But then we'll also have sort of weeks on, okay, what are some of the general methods of biblical counseling? What are some of the specific methods? We'll have a whole section on specific kind of struggles like anxiety, lust and craving, drug addiction, depression, anger, uh, relational conflict. And we'll just want to say, okay, how do we understand this biblically through the lens of Scripture? How do we kind of see what God thinks and what He says so that we can be equipped to minister to one another who are struggling in these kinds of areas? So we'll also get into very specific kinds of troubles. Um, and that's sort of uh, nine months with 30. And then I think you indicated maybe earlier here at another point, there's going to be some who sort of want to take it to the next level and you'll sort of work even more directly with those and, and, and try to develop that. And then maybe even some who want to do this even more and sort of, so the, the investment involvement goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Yes. And yeah. so there's ends up being several years of ways in which that gets getting deeper, narrower, harder, more that, that fewer and fewer people keep going. But then those who come out, you want to process that when they come out on the end, that they feel fully equipped yeah. to minister to anything. One of the things that excites you about being here is we're not quite as transient as Alexandria, Virginia. And so you actually, if, you, if you've got years with someone, you can invest in them and not have them have to, because of a transition, a job or what have you, just, you know, partway through have to bail and, and they have to move. We're getting near the end of our time. Any other questions from the floor here? Yeah, Daniel. How do you counsel an unbeliever if they don't share those basic sort of presuppositions? No, it's yeah, it's a good question. I and one of the great it's even one of the great things of watching Jesus in action is he's always talking to unbelievers. And and so he he, and often starts with just some the area of particular need. You know, the woman at the well, like there's things he, she wants to talk about, but then he's like, hey, let's talk about this. 
And there's a way in which you can even spend time with an unbeliever, really care for them, really love them, really then draw them out in a way that gets to the very nerve center of where they're struggling, and then can begin to show them, you realize how the, the only hope and help and answer to what this is Christ, which is certainly what Jesus is going to make clear. Like, okay, you need living water, not this water you keep going to. And so whether it's Nicodemus, whether it's woman at the well, whether it's yeah, any number of those conversations you see, those are all one-to-one sort of personal ministry conversations that you don't just go, okay, I'm just going to give an hour, but rather really believing we're most equipped to have that conversation, to care for them, to draw out, to be interested in their whole life, to ask those wise questions, but then to zero in on, okay, here's where you're really overwhelmed, really struggling, really troubled, and whether it's sins, whether it's mistreatments, whether it's suffering, whatever it might be, and then at some point in the details of their life, lead them to Christ in that conversation. So it's ultimately always evangelistic, but not okay, blanks, I'm just going to give you these five spiritual, you know, these four spiritual laws or these things as if there isn't detail to their life. You're going to start with them and their life and caring for them and then shape the gospel around and that message to where they are. But. Uh, maybe two final questions, just quickly. So you've written a lot, but I think you've written, like articles, pieces, but in terms of a book, sort of popular level, one so, so equipped to counsel that training program that I'll take people through is a published, oh, that is published. set of books, okay. but it's by ABC, the Association of Biblical Counselors. And so it's not, it's not on Amazon. It's not through a major publishing house. You'd have to go to ABC directly to get that set okay. of books. But Catching Foxes. Catching Foxes. So why did you choose to write sort of a premarital counseling book? Just, you know, this is how I tend to write things. I don't just go, you know what, I'm an author, I'm going to write something. It's, we end up in ministry, so Ruth and I were just meeting with couples for premarital stuff and going, man, I wonder what would be a great book for this, and just not finding anything. And so just went, I guess, I guess I'll write it. And, and so it, and so that just started. That's usually what I think, too. Is it? <laughs> it's, yeah, well, so, you know, I t- and so when my writing tends to come, be yeah. birthed out of the immediate ministries that I'm doing in the local church. Yeah. And so I don't know how to think broader than that. I tend to think very, and, and then it tends to go out there because somebody will take it and say, hey, we'd like to publish that. And you go, okay, yeah. fine. But I, that's, and so, it, yeah, just was birthed out of a number of those conversations week after week, having to write structure and content for discussion, questions we wanted to hear. And then just as the years went on, that kept forming, developing, mm. taking shape into where eventually that was in a, in a publishable format. Gotcha. Now, this is the last question, and it's a critical one. Your candidacy rides on the answer to this question. It's a question many of us have already answered. Is a hot dog a sandwich? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. I love it. He won't be pinned down. (laughs) It's a lot like Jesus. Not the answer you necessarily expect, but one that makes you walk away and think, hmm. Well, on that nice note, friends, um, I hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, We're going to break here in just a moment. I'm going to pray. We're going to break before we start our our morning service. Uh, John will be here. um, And... (laughs) 
If you've got questions, just you're welcome to come uh, for the next few minutes. and then we're going to pray in just a moment before the service starts. But please just do respect social distancing. I know some of you um, are skeptical of, of how it all works, but some of us will naturally have some concerns and fears. So please just do respect one another. Keep those masks on. Be careful of that distance. And thank you for coming and being a part of this. Let me pray. God, we pray that uh, you would help us reflect well upon how to bring your word to bear on one another. Lord, and we pray, even as we think about the word and the word that it does in the work of others, we know that that word first must do its work in our own heart if we're to be finally of any real lasting good and change. And so God, we pray that we wouldn't be self-righteous. We wouldn't be merely looking to fix the problems of others, but we'd be wanting to reflect well in the grace of Christ in our own lives. And out of the overflow of that appreciation and thanksgiving, that we would bring that to bear on the lives of others. And you would grow that increasingly within the life of this body. And if it be your will that John Henderson would be uh, one who could help and assist us in that work. In Jesus' name, amen.